Welcome to the podcast, Inside Out. If this is your first time joining us, this is a story that you've arrived in the middle of. It's best to start at episode one. This is season two, My Life Inside a Federal Prison Camp. Season one is the truth is the first victim. And it would be best if you started season one, episode one, and worked your way through. New episodes drop every Sunday. We're so glad you're here. This is Inside Out. I'm your host, James Catledge. Welcome aboard. I want to talk to you about my neighbor uh, across and one down. Uh, his name is Fua. Fua has a tattoo that's a reptile pattern that goes from his neck, wraps a little bit around the back of his neck, goes across his torso, all the way across his hips and down his leg, okay? This is Fua. Fua is an islander. I want to say Fua is Tongan. Fua's quiet. Fua is large, strong, uh, physically. He's got a presence about him. Uh, and if he wants to be quiet, no one's going to speak to him, okay? Fua is in the A unit, which is where I live. He's the boss, or the rep, for the Islanders, which all Asians report to, whether you're Korean, v- D- Douglas, Vietnamese, whether you're uh, James, who's at a fat camp, anybody that's Asian descent or Islander reports to FUA if they're in our unit. So FUA's got his own TV room with one TV. He's got control of the remote and all of the crew that reports to him, that's where they sit and watch TV. So Fua is down the hall from me, and I, I'm probably there, I don't know, three and a half months before I decide I'm going to uh, speak to Fua. I mean, he's just obviously staying to himself. He's up at 5 a.m. and out, so he's gone most of the day, comes back every day about 2 o'clock. And so I, I went down the hallway and just leaned in. I said, hey, Fua, uh, and we, we've, we've not really spoken at this point. We've done we've done fists before in the hallway where you bump, bump fists. And we've, we've given each other the kind of the high sign with the eyes where you recognize somebody and there's mutual respect. But we've never spoken. We've never spoken before. So I decide I'm changing that today. I want to know who Fua is. So I go down the hallway, lean in to the doorway of this cubicle and said, hey, Fua, where do you go every day at 5 a.m.? He said, I work up front in the administration building. So he works up front in the low, the low facility that houses a little higher level security prison. He works up front. I said, what do you do up there? He goes, well. I'm assigned to the warden's office. I uh, I do the cleaning, and uh, for the warden's office and all the secretaries up there in that uh, executive administrative area, and I d- I go up there every day. So this tells me right away he's got extraordinary trust of the institution, or he wouldn't be allowed to do that. And I said, "Well, how much time have you done, Fua?" And he said, uh, "He said I'm in year seven of ten years, so I've been here." I've been here seven. I said, wow, it's a long time. Um, he said, uh, he said, you know anything about stocks? He, you know, because I'm a white guy. It's obviously in a white collar fence. So maybe, so maybe I know something about stocks. And so, of course I do. So I let him know I'm a wealth advisor, financial advisor by training. And, and I've built financial advisory firms. And so I do know a little bit about stocks. I've traded stocks my entire adult life. He said, well, 
I do pattern recognition. This is what Fua says to me. I said, what is pattern recognition? He says, well, maybe you've noticed, but I've got the TV on CNBC, the financial channel most of the day. And when the market closes, uh, you know, I change to something else. But during the day, my TV in the TV room is always on the market. I said, I have noticed that. I just figured you were trading stocks and keeping track of them. He says, well, I've never opened a trading account, but I am doing pattern recognition and and I'm able to pick, I've been doing this for seven years, I'm able to pick stocks that if I look at them and I look at the trading patterns and I look at how many shares are trading over time, over a period of about a month, I can tell which stocks are going to go up and by how much within a certain range. He says, if you know how to study the valuation of a company and the financial information on a company, maybe you could help me. I give you a list of stocks that I think are set to go up based on pattern recognition. And then maybe you could do your investigation with the Wall Street Journal and Barron's and the other investors business daily, the other publications you've got access to. And, and then you could tell me which ones have price dislocation, which ones prices are either too high or undervalued. And, and, and then maybe I could open a brokerage account and have my mother trade those stocks for me. I said, oh, that'd be great. I, I'd enjoy doing that. So you give me a list on a weekly basis of stocks. I'll do my thing. And then I'll let you know what I've discovered specifically. And then you can call your mom and do your thing. So this is how Fu and I begin our relationship. Fu and I would walk the track and talk about specific stocks and specific companies and news I had heard and articles I had read. And I would get additional research from my mom and I would get additional articles sent to me about stocks that Fu was interested in investing in. And FUA turned a little $10,000 account over a seven-month period into $20,000. And uh, this was all based on his gift of pattern recognition. And then I would do the homework and let him know that some of these companies weren't valued right. Some were overvalued. Some, and those that were undervalued are the ones he bought. And he, he didn't buy much, didn't have much. But those he bought, he was careful and it worked. And so we, we developed a great rapport and uh, a great relationship. And I came to really trust his intellect and his brilliant mind. And, and we, we just really were getting along great. And I added him to the, the list of people that would get access to the Wall Street Journal and the other investment publications that I got. And I would circle articles for him and tell him why it was important. And we would have that level of conversation. And he really got into it. And I became, he had a, a few Islander friends, but I became one of his good friends. And we, we really were having a nice bond together. And Fuwa did some things that, that, that were quite interesting. He would, he would, of course, work every day in the warden's office. And he would learn all sorts of information about whether the prison was closing, whether it was staying open, whether they were getting an extension, which they were filing for to see if they could get it to stay open. Uh, whenever Donald Trump or his surrogates were coming to the prison, he got a heads up on that. He was able to figure out the political affiliation of the of the guards and the, the warden and the lieutenant warden. He was able to let us know that that, that kind of lets us know basically the psychology of, of the staff, which is really, really important if you're an inmate living under their rule. If you can understand their psychology, it just helps things go smoother. Any insight you can get is an advantage to an inmate. And so Fool was able to be quite useful 
in in tamping down rumors that weren't real, getting me clarity on facts that were in play, and uh, I was able to use it with my my uh, relationship with the other reps. You know, the black rep, of course, Fua is a rep. My my guy Greg, my rep, and of course Don, who's the rep for the Islanders in another unit. And then we were able to, and the Chino is the rep for the uh, Mexicans in, in our unit. So all the reps were able to get clarity on additional from additional source that I would get from FUA. So we had all of these surrogates capturing real data, real facts, so that people aren't operating under rumor. And that uh, really helps keep peace when you when you know that the facts you have are not speculation and they're not, you know, part of the rumor mill. So anyway, that was FUA. I'll tell you one other thing about FUA, which I found quite interesting. So FUA had this, this habit of setting out his clothes the night before. And cause he's got to get up at 5 AM and he's in the dark. They, the lights don't come in on the unit till like six 30. So you're, you're in the dark getting ready when he's uh, up in the morning. So he set out his clothes the night before. Now I set my clothes out too, but it wasn't because I was getting ready in the dark. It's just, I like starting the day kind of without any heavy decisions. I like everything. That sounds funny. Our clothes are all the same. But I still wanted them set out. So Fu was doing the same thing. But he's setting his out on a chair that's sitting in the middle of his cubicle, kind of blocking the cubicle doorway, like the way you walk into the cubicle. And so I just, I just noticed that he's always very particular about where that chair goes. And so as he's winding down early, like at 8 p.m., he's always got that chair. He's fidgeting with that chair to get it exactly in the right spot. I said, Fua, and we're close enough now. I feel like I can ask him this. I said, what are you doing with the chair? What's going on here? Why is that chair going to be right there? He said, well, it's a habit that I probably should let go of. I just haven't yet. I said, what's the habit? He said, well, if there's going to be somebody jump you, in your bunk, it's usually going to occur in the middle of the night. And so I got used to in the other higher security prisons, creating kind of a blockade at the front of my cell. So if anybody's coming in, they hit that chair in the middle of the night, I hear it, I pop up and I'm in a position to defend myself. He said, that's where my boots are here too. You'll notice my boots are unlaced and right at the foot. So if I hear something, I can boot up and prepare to defend myself with traction on the ground. He goes, if there's going to be bodies thrown around in here, I want my boots on. I thought, my God, this poor guy with this reptile tattoo who's quite capable of handling any three men at a time is sleeping with this on his mind. So much so that he's blocking the door and got his boots unlaced every single night. And so I said, T- tell me, tell me what you've seen. And so he shares with me some of the stuff he's seen, which I'm not going to put on this podcast. Okay. But I want you to know that there are men that are doing time in camps who have seen some horrific things by other human beings. They've witnessed violence. They've witnessed barbaric acts. They've witnessed things that sadly you don't ever want to see. And so this, this affects your behavior. It affects your habits and it, it affected Fua's mindset it probably affected Fua's sleep. I had Greg tell me one time, he said, James, let me tell you something I saw. I think it was Greg. Greg will call me and correct me if it was not Greg, but I think it was Greg. 
There was grease heated up in the microwave. Now, by the way, I don't know if you understand what happens when you heat up grease. But it has the capacity to burn whatever it touches. So some guy was so upset in the TV room. Now, this was not at camp. This was at a higher level facility. That he heated up some grease, came into the TV room, and poured it down the head of his enemy. And it melted his face. Melted his face from his bones. Never to be restored. When you pour hot grease onto another human being, it literally removes the skin from the bone structure. Now, I've never seen this, but this is the story that was expressed to me that it happened in another facility where this gentleman had transferred from. So this is the type of stuff that can go on, that does go on, that sits in the back of the minds of people who have done more 10, 15, 20 years. And uh, it, it, it has, to, has to alter the way you see the world. It has to alter the way you see yourself on the planet. So anyway, that's my man, Fua. I love Fua. I uh, am not in touch with Fua today. I hope he's found the podcast. I hope he's listening. Uh, I hope his mother's doing great. He's, and I hope he's still trading. I hope he's still reading the Wall Street Journal. I've got a lot of love and respect for Fua. Johnny Walker set to leave Taft. He introduces me to several people. And uh, almost like, hey, look after this guy. He's a good guy. And one of the guys he introduced me to was this really strong, really built. Like, I mean... Looks like a uh, bodybuilder, for sure, Sherm. And uh, so I decide, look, I, I, I've i got nothing but time in here. I'm, I want to get a lot stronger. I want to, I'm not going to be as strong as Sherm, but Sherm probably knows what to do to make me stronger. And so Sherm's got these crazy routines for alternate push-ups where you got one hand higher than the other. We're doing this on the bleachers. He's got, I think they're called dead man's where you're leaning into the triceps very aggressively, uh, very hard. And you're doing like a hundred of them at a time, dead man's so that literally you feel dead, like your dead weight fully into your triceps. And then you're pushing off. And then uh, Sherman had figured out how to load up a, a crate full of boulders. He had figured out that this would be a good chest press, be a good uh, curl. There's no weight stack at Taft. For some reason, the Bureau of Prisons had begun to look down upon getting the inmates stronger with weights. And so as weights would either uh, wear out and need to be replaced, they wouldn't replace them. And so at Taft, we had no weights. What we had were very creative inmates who created weightlifting routines with boulders, with horseshoes, linking things together. We, we literally manufactured a bench, a de- decline bench, an incline bench, and we're loading up a crate. So this is like close grip chest pressing and, uh, and, uh, over-the-head tricep extensions while you're laying down on that bench, uh, or getting catching the upper chest real good. 
but we're loading it with boulders. And so we, we'd figured out which boulders needed to go in it for Sherm's lifting, which boulders should come out for my lifting. And we would do this every day. And we would do uh, chest tries and biceps one day. We would do back and lats another day. And this is in addition to the walking and all the other pull-ups and stuff like that that we're doing. I don't know. There's, there's some like gymnastic bars out there to do pull-ups and all sorts of fun stuff. But Sherm and I would have really deep business discussions. Sherm had uh, gotten in on into the present facility on a 10-year bid, and uh, he pled guilty uh, to his crime to get himself 10 years because they wanted more. And uh, so he, he was from Houston, and uh, he had served a lot of his time in Texas, and they wanted to transfer out. He felt like there may be different things to learn if he could get around the man in California. And so he transferred just for his own education and his own uh, expansion of his knowledge. Literally, that's why he transferred. And uh, Sherm was a really organized guy, mentally, verbally, very articulate, really smart guy. And he, he of course, is in the African-American group. And, of course, they've got their own TV room. And, they, of course, they sit together in the dining hall like all the races do. But Sherm and I... Uh, developed a really good friendship from working out. We talked about a lot of stuff, about our families, about his boys, about his business, uh, and, and about my business. And, and we, we really got along fabulous. And Sherm and I became very good friends, so much so that Sherm was transferring to RDAP, which was a plan to reduce your sentence by a year if you went through this very disciplined drug and alcohol rehabilitation program inside the prison system, they would pull a year off your time. And so he had qualified for it. It was hard to qualify for it. He did. And he had to transfer to where an RDAP class was being taught. And I remember how sad I was that he was leaving. I mean, this, this may not happen for some inmates, but boy, it did for me when they, when these good friends left, it was sad. Like I, I was, I, I wasn't crying, but I was emotional for sure. Like, um, and so Sherman and I hung out together probably for six, seven months after Johnny Walker left. And then it's time for Sherm to leave. And we started doing pizza parties. He's very good at building a pizza with items from the commissary. Really good. He figured out exactly about how much sauce to put on the pizza crust, how to make the pizza crust. Uh, And then we would pick our ingredients, cheese and pepperoni and sausage. And he's just very good. He figured out how to make the crust um, crunchy but not, uh, not too, too crunchy. I mean, he was very good at this. And so we would have probably, I would say once a week, a pizza party. And I didn't like this idea that I can't watch a football game with Sherm. We had the same favorite team, the New Orleans Saints. And I just thought, you know what? This is so stupid. Why can't my friend and I sit in the TV room and watch a game together? And so I wasn't going to burden his group with that. But I thought I would ask Greg permission. Can my friend Sherm come and sit in Steve's chair? You know, you have to, your chairs are, you know, they're your individual chair. And so we didn't want Sherm to have to bring a chair down. And so we, we got permission from Steve to, uh, to let Sherm sit in his chair. And then I got permission from Greg to allow Sherm in the white TV room, by the way, was very controversial. Uh, Greg said he didn't care. You know, Greg's not all caught up into this stuff. Uh, but it is enforced. I mean, there's no doubt about it. This was 
this was such an eye-popping moment. Uh, so Sherm is now seated in the white TV room for the New Orleans Saints game. And it is obvious to both white men and black men as they cross the threshold of the TV room and spot Sherman there. It's almost like they can't tell if he's being rebellious. They can't tell if uh, if he's crossed the line. Like, is this going to be a problem? And of course, Sherman, I know we've we've gotten permission to do this, but it was quite a thing. He had one of his black friends come through and, of course, doesn't come in. But from the threshold, said, Sherman, you better get out of there. Sherman, you better get out of there. You know, just really uh, seriously encouraging Sherman, you know, don't don't create a problem. But, of course, as far as Sherman and I were concerned, there was no problem. But anyway, that that that's uh, Sherman. And we're still buddies today. We, we talk on the phone periodically. And, and he's doing great. Uh, his boys are doing great. And uh, Sherm's one of the good guys, no doubt about it. Sherm is one of the good guys. Sherm and I would bust Steve's chops on this wine, uh, trying to make sure Steve was was uh, convincing in his sommelier uh, wine training. Uh, he was really trying to tell us all, all about the wine and everything. And Sherm and I were, you know, just 100% not going for it. But uh, Steve was convincing. And uh, all, all the wine and, and wine experts out there in the world, uh, you had you had an aficionado inside Taft representing your side of things. As Sherman, I tried our best to debate the idea that it was all made up, and that was so. Those are some of the funny things we did. Uh, we we played a lot of sports together. Uh, Sherman would come out and watch, and Steve and I would play tennis, and Sherman and I would work out together, and 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 working out's like walking. You, you do it with your friends. You, you don't you don't just let guys rotate in that aren't in your friend group. So because you're discussing all sorts of things. And sometimes when you're lifting these peculiar crates with boulders in it, somebody needs to stay on the lookout because the guards don't like that. They don't like you creating weightlifting things and creating contraptions to to uh, efficiently, you know, make the most of the wreck area they, they they come over and you know cause you a problem so we always had to have somebody to look out so i would watch while sherm lifts and and sherman watch while i lifted and we would have a guy or two a friend or two rotate in with us and and there'd be a spotter but uh anyway that's it that's sherm and uh, sherm's one of my best buds no doubt about it this is inside out with james catledge my life inside federal prison this is season two